Raja Pinks. You are listening to Behind the Lens. And thank you for that, Jar Jar. And you are indeed listening to Behind the Lens. Uh, welcome back. It is now the first first show in the month of February. The year is already ticking down. Welcome to Behind the Lens. I am Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, host of Behind the Lens. You can find my reviews and interviews around the globe in print and online. But every Monday, you can find me right here live on Adrenaline Radio for, at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. And we go behind the lens and below the line uh, with... Live guests calling in, sometimes in studio, sometimes exclusive interview clips. So you never know what you're going to get. Today, though, what you're going to get, it's time to party on for an excellent show that is, we're going to celebrate Wayne's World 25th Birthday Bash, which, for everybody listening, it comes back to theaters tomorrow, Tuesday, February 7th, and Wednesday, February 8th, in over 800 theaters across the country. Big screen, there is an opening that's being done by Peter Travers of Rolling Stone. And then after the film, that there is a pre-recorded post-screening Q&A with director Penelope Sferis and multiple cast members, including Mike Myers, Dana Carvey, Tia Carrera, Robert pa- and Robert Patrick. Today, though, at the quarter hour mark, we have director Penelope Sferis live. Uh, so you want, you definitely want to stay tuned in, listen for that. And at, at, uh, 1130, we have the Wayne's World 25th anniversary theatrical celebration creator and producer, also the creator of the New York film critics series, Mark Ehrenkrantz. I can't wait to talk to Mark. He is a huge, huge, huge advocate of independent films, something he showcases in the New York film critics series. And as all of our regular listeners know, We really celebrate the independent film and the independent spirit here of filmmaking here on Behind the Lens. So I'm really excited to have Mark as a guest at the half hour mark. But first, um, I want to give a shout out to our, you know, Jar Jar Binks. A lot of people have already asked, is that Jar Jar? I have to give credit where credit is due. That is the voice work of my very talented and very good friend, actor Stephen Alaric. Steve was on the show some time ago, and uh, he was demonstrating his Jar Jar impersonation. So we had to make that a permanent part of the show. So a huge shout-out to Steve and any casting directors out there. Thank you, Steve, for voice work and acting. So, and Brian is in the booth today. Yeah, as opposed to being not in the booth. That's right. Today. That's right. That's great to be Oh, as, that was me. He touches things and breaks them. What can we say? Yeah, I, I, I did a lot of cleaning over the weekend, but it seems like I still have, can't touch anything. Uh, cleaning here or cleaning at home? Oh, here. Oh. I was here on Friday and just, like I said, you cleaned up some stuff. In there. Uh-huh. We had a football game occur. We did have a football game occur. But more importantly than that. We're counting down Star Wars. We are. No, actually, more important than that is we, we saw finally a, a beautiful, Gorgeous trailer for extended cut of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two. Yeah, Ooh, that was that was great. And it's so funny. Right after it, uh, right after it, it uh, dropped out, James Gunn was doing a, a live a live feed uh, talking about the trailer. You know, and, and it, it was kind of it came out of nowhere because it was right before the game too. Mm-hmm. And I, I was getting up to go grab some stuff, and then I, I I heard the fanfare, and I was like, I'm not going to leave. Yeah. 
Yeah. I saw that. A lot of uh, great commercials playing. But Star Wars, since we mentioned it already. Yes. Uh, Star Wars Episode Eight: mm-hmm. The Last Jedi, now has a title that we spoke about a couple yes. weeks ago. It's 311 days away, 12 hours and 55 minutes to go. And as soon as I'm done speaking the sentence, we have 19 seconds in that time also. Well, it's getting closer. But I'm, I'm equally excited for May 5th and Guardians of the Galaxy... Volume two. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about that. Like Star Wars seems so far away, but we do get a lot of cool movies. Uh, we get uh, Billy D. Williams in the Lego Movie, mm-hmm. finally reprising his role as the uh, as Two Face, like he did in the trilogy in the original Batman. But uh, we get Guardians of the Galaxy and Groot. Yep, Baby Groot. Yep. So we're going to be good. That's all I care about, Baby Groot. And then at the end of May, we get Pirates of the Caribbean: Dead Men Tell No Tales, which we also got a trailer for. With a vision of Johnny Depp covered in dirt and muck and mire and drinking. Yeah, he looked Um, good. He looked good. But let's get started with today's show. Um, I've got a very special, special interview clip here with a director who is very dear to my heart, um, the wonderful Peter Chelsom. Peter has directed such memorable films as Serendipity with John Cusack. It is a go-to Valentine movie for so many people out there. Hannah Montana, the movie, which teens and tweens went crazy over. Shall We Dance for the Mature Arb Crowd with Richard Gere, Susan Sarandon, and Hector and the Search for Happiness. Now Peter comes to us with The Space Between Us. This is a movie. It has, it has a heart and a soul. It is the story of a young boy, 16-year-old boy named Gardner, who is born on Mars. And only wants to find out what it's like to be human. There are all kinds of scientific ramifications involved uh, because of gravity differentials between Mars and Earth and even getting from Mars back to Earth, which, for purposes of the film, can be done quite handily and quite easily. Um, The film was totally vetted science-wise through NASA. Uh, One of the leading experts who consulted on the film and helped design it was Professor Scott Hubbard, uh, and it started with the premise of producer Richard Barton, who also is credited with the story. Richard had the question, or Richard Barton Lewis, he said, well, what happens if somebody gets pregnant, either on space flight or on Mars? And that's a question that NASA still doesn't have an answer to, which sets up some interesting hypotheticals within the space between us, which also takes a beautiful look at the whole idea of space. And space doesn't have to be a physical thing. You can be miles apart, but you're connected and you're close. It's all about connectivity. And again, it's got a heart and a soul. So I had a chance to sit down with Peter and with Richard and talk to them about the film. Here is part of our exclusive interview where we're talking about the genesis of the space between us and the blend of emotion and science. Love the soul that this film has. There is is a truth and a soul to this. And what you explore on multiple metaphoric levels about space and how there can be vast space, but at the same time there is no space. You do it on emotional levels. I'm going to cry. (laughs) This is beautiful. Thank you. I, the entire third act, I cried watching the film. I don't do that in films. You make me cry in film with your films. 
but not for an entire third act. Absolutely exquisite. Thank you. The emotion that you capture, laced with the truth of the science, the authenticity of the scientific elements in here, and um, your recreation of what we now know really is what NASA, what Mars terrain looks like. There's so much truth here that can open up the eyes of so many. But on top of that, you then have this great emotional gravitas and the balance that's achieved is outstanding. How did the two of you achieve, find that, find that total bandwidth of perfection? I'll start, if I may. Uh, so this started with a really simple question, um, which was a science question. A, a young writer I was working with on another space project said, I have an idea of what would happen if an astronaut discovered she was pregnant on a flight to Mars. So I picked up the phone and called NASA Ames. My dad was a part specialist, so I asked him questions. He introduced me to uh, scientists at NASA Ames. And I asked these two gentlemen the question. There was silence at the end of the call for like a long time. And they said, have you been listening to our phone calls? And I said, I've never met you. And they said, it's going to happen, and we don't know what to do. We're not prepared to your birth and flight. We're not prepared to abort. We can't turn the ship around. So that really started the journey. It's a very strong science underpinning. And then as we developed the script, met with Professor Hubbard, who turns out was the boss of those two gentlemen. He ran NASA for 20 years or something. And he vetted everything that we did. And then Peter bringing on, uh, we had flight surgeons who were advising us about the birth, about what the conditions would be like, and Scott referred us to uh, some of the researchers that had taken mice uh, that were pregnant, and they put them in orbit, part of the space shuttle program. They gave birth, and mice came back, there were all these anomalies. So it would be terrifying, actually. The chances of the child going to full gestation would be challenged. Uh, could grow up, be 10 feet tall. So all the things that Gary Oldman says in the movie and they talk about are all based in science. And then Peter was dogged in getting the reality on Mars. And I know when we screened this, we screened it for, for SpaceX and their elite astronauts that were advising me along said, thank God you didn't do that perfect gravity thing. These other movies do. They they were referring to not only on Mars, but the fact that they have spaceships in interstellar and um, and the Martian where the spaceship creates its own one G by spinning. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? It spins its environment, so it creates central. I, um, Richard, you know, had all this knowledge. Years ahead of me, because I've been on it three years. He's been on it much longer. And Richard's people, like Scott Hubbard, were invaluable. I hate to direct anything without authority. I feel like such a fraud. Do you know what I mean? So I have to know. And whereas other films have not even acknowledged the gravity difference on the Mars surface, we, I felt, had to because we were a plot point because it's about a boy brought up with that gravity difference. Mm -hmm. And that was very, very challenging. It's a lot of harnesses. You know, when you see the spaceship land and you see the character running across the landscape to meet them, that one actor there, extra. Not only is it slightly slow motion, there's a massive crane with a wire coming down, lifting him so that there's an oddness to his run. Mm -hmm. Similarly with Carla running on the training track, Asa running on the training track. So that was a lot of work. Um, yeah, and 
And did did you work with your the barrier cinematographer and like adjust framing? Yeah. For that as well. With a lot of tests. Okay. And then to your other point about and everything you've said, I want to write down. It's so beautiful. You talk about soul. When Richard came to me, and I think one of the first things I said was, you know, this reminds me, and then not like emulate or copy other directors, but I'm the first to stand in line and praise them. It felt Robert Zemeckis-esque, mm-hmm. insofar as he always seems to achieve massive scope with a very sh- strong, sure heart beating at the center. So I kind of made a decision, which I always do, whether I'm writing or directing or both, I had to have a decision about what is this film about, what's its theme, and for me it was isolation versus connection versus isolation, amplified by the vastness of space. You said it in a different, rather more eloquent way, I thought it was fantastic. So, it's not, I had never done sci-fi, I suppose, but it's all filmmaking to me. I, I loved it. As long as there's a great story in the center of it that moves you, the setting is a secondary thing. I know. I would agree. So what you have in some ways, and what we had a joy. So I saw Peter's, I've seen all his movies, almost all his movies, but I saw Hector in the Search for Happiness. I was staggered. I was sobbing. I said, have you been reading my diary? And I just love that movie. And it, it had, Angry on his behalf that it didn't get seen by it should have been seen. We saw it in Santa, I saw it in Santa Barbara when he got a standing ovation, so I know it worked. But nonetheless, the heart at the center of that story. And so, what you have in, in the space between us is a girl who feels completely alienated. She'd actually rather be off this planet. And, and you have a boy who is desperate to be human, doesn't quite know what it means. And these two crash together, and that's what made it work. And you have also, these four characters are broken. Gary's character is someone who is so obsessive compulsive about every detail of his science, as are people we model this after, whether it's uh, Elon or Branson or Jeff Bezos or anybody, Steve Jobs. They all are flawed because they're so driven that the one thing he can't control is his passion. And so he starts out, you think he's a bad guy all the way through the movie. In fact, what he was afraid of is exactly what happens. And you have Carla, who, like many astronauts, women who I met, um, either put off having children and getting married. They gave up a big chunk of part of their life to be an astronaut, and, that, and then she missed the window. Um, so, and you have then Brit, who is damaged and angry and distrustful. So you have these broken people who, it doesn't all work out in the ending, but they kind of find each other in their own way and they find some resolution. So you talk about the heart and soul. I was looking for a director, and this is what I'm going to say to you tonight, who had heart and humanity, because that's the reason to make this movie. And there are many directors who I met along the way. I said, oh, we should die at the end. And I said, I said, he does die. He goes into the water, and he's dead. He really is until he gets in, you know, spoiler alert, until he yeah. has to go through the, the ending and re- literally be it's born. A, it's a rebirth. It's, yeah. it's, and I, I'm not religious, but I'm, you know, I have faith of some kind. Um, and Peter embraced that story completely and elevated it. Mm-hmm. And that's what was profound. Uh, and that's why it's, it's phenomenal the art that he brought to a story that everyone worked on. To get into shape, and it kind of found its own footing. Um. And that was Peter Chelsum and 
Richard Barton Lewis talking about the space between us. We'll hear more of my interview with them. But right now, I am so thrilled. It is time to party on with the fabulous Penelope Spheris. Hello, Penelope. Hi, Debbie. How are you? I am so thrilled to be talking to you. This is a very auspicious occasion. <laughs> well, thank you. You're sweet. Thank you. I'm thrilled to talk to you, too. You know, it's it's not often that somebody can make a film and it has taken on, you know, a life of its own so that 25 years later, you know, one would have never thought that, you know, uh, that our, our beloved boys of, you know, Wayne and Garth would have staying power of Rhett and Scarlet almost. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's a good compare. <laughs> Very nice compliment. Thank you. Yeah, I, it's just, did you, this is so exciting. You know, and Mark Aaron Krantz has put together this whole great theatrical celebration. You're up to over 800 theaters that this film is going to be back in tomorrow and Wednesday. I know. When Mark first told me that he had this idea, I'm like, dude, you're never going to make it work, okay? And then he, I know, he's just like, he's like relentless. Uh, it's just, <laughs> but so, I mean, this is, this is incredible because it's not just seeing the movie again. This is a whole experience Mm-hmm. that you and Mark have put together so that mm-hmm. there's an intro that Peter Travers of Rolling Stone is doing and then a pre-recorded Q&A of you and Mike Myers, Dana Carvey, Tia Carrera, and Robert Patrick. Exactly, and Colleen Camp and even Lauren Michaels is, is there too. Oh, my goodness. Lauren tells the best joke. you got to go just for his joke. Anytime Lauren Michaels is anywhere, you got to go. Exactly. You know. <laughs> What this is a very interesting story. This this is you know this film was done. It came out in 1992, Valentine's Day, as a matter of fact, which will be the same day that the double feature DVD and digital HD comes out. Mm-hmm. But I know 25 no, years ago, can't believe it. Number one, you wouldn't think that Wayne and Garth and Wayne's World would be a Valentine opening, but <laughs> I know, right? But the love of, of the world has proven that. Yeah, that's a perfect movie for Valentine's Day. Yeah, I think also it's just, I think, in our political climate right now and everything else, uh, it it makes you happy. This movie makes you happy, and it reminds you of happier times in the early 90s. And so people, I think, enjoy it from that perspective, you know. Yeah, and this was such a great departure for you. Uh, you know, after having done Suburbia for Roger Corman, which I know it's one of my sound engineer Brian's favorite movies. <laughs> I know. He told me, yeah. He he was so excited when he found out you were doing the show because because of Suburbia. Wow. But That's you, nice. you'd also done Decline of Western Civilization about the L.A. punk scene. You know, and yeah. you had you had produced nine episodes of Saturday Night Live. But now, yeah, you, well, you, it was it was. Uh, short films that Albert Brooks directed. Lauren called me up one day and asked me if I could show Albert, teach Albert how to make movies because he was really funny and he wanted to make movies, but he didn't know how. Would I teach him? And I said, heck yeah, I'll do anything to pay the bills and keep the lights on. <laughs> but And then you get Wayne's World, your first studio film. Mm-hmm. You know, how is it for you, as, was it for you as a director in the 90s to, to be ha- coming out of like a Roger Corman world Mm -hmm. uh, and then coming into a studio film that has rules and regulations and it's not as much fly by the seat of your pants and Mm -hmm. think for yourself. 
Well, that, those are very smart observations, Debbie, and, and it was exactly like that. Um, for me, I was just thrilled, you know, to, to, to get the gig and to be in the Director's Guild. Uh, and they even invited me to join the Academy of Motion Pictures after the movie did well. And so it was a big turnaround in my life. And, I mean, I wasn't used to having all those trucks and people there, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was always used to flying by my seat of my pants, you know. You know, was that, did that put constraints on you? As a filmmaker, and tempering down some of the humor uh, of Wayne's uh, World, or did no, you pretty much have a free a, reign? It, it was in a time when uh, the average studio movie cost sixty-three million dollars, and our movie, uh, Wayne's World, cost fourteen million. So the studio wasn't putting pressure on us at all. Lorne was cool all the time, and would just stop by the set whenever he wanted to have lunch with us or something, you know, <laughs> and um, I, we weren't restricted at all. And I think that's what helped make the movie work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look, we sit back now, 25 years later, and we look at your cast, you know, in addition to Mike and Dana and Tia, Robert Patrick, you had Rob Lowe, Laura Flynn Boyle, Donna Dixon, Ioni Skye, Meatloaf, Alice Cooper, um, who still pops up in movies every once in a while? Yeah. Um, you know, did the, did you you have any idea of the of what the future would hold for all of these people once you worked yeah. with them behind the you know on the film? No, I didn't, and I didn't have any idea that twenty five years later we would be celebrating this again. I mean, none of us. First of all, none of us really realized that the film was going to be such a big hit you know that was a shocker and then uh and then now to have it uh honored again after 25 years is a big double whammy shocker you know um it's a it's a very very uh high compliment to to lauren and 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 mike and dana and to bonnie and terry turner the writers you know uh, it was a great group effort. It was a wonderful time, you know. And I, somebody told me uh, later, they go, a studio executive, he says, don't expect that to ever happen again in your whole career, Penelope. And I thought, oh, yeah, you just watch me, man. Well, it never did. <laughs> but there is still time, Penelope. Oh, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> you know, are you surprised at the trajectories that these young talents took after Wayne's World? Well, you know, Robert Patrick's on this wonderful um, uh, show, uh, Scorpion, right now. Uh, Colleen Camp, uh, one of my best friends, is uh, a movie producer now, Mm -hmm. and she's still acting as well. Tia Carrere has followed her her wonderful music career and having won Grammys for her Hawaiian music. Mm -hmm. Um, Mike, of course, went on to shoot us all out of the water with uh, Austin Powers and Shrek and everything else. Mm -hmm. I mean, that guy's a genius. Uh, Dana's still going uh, strong, and to me, he will always be my darling Garth and the church lady. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, we've all survived, which is the cool part. You know, and of course, Rob Lowe has turned into one of the most chameleonic out of the whole bunch. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it it was Lauren's idea to cast Rob, and I... When he called me and said, how about we get Rob Lowe? I'm like, I don't know. He just had some really bad publicity. And Lauren said, that's good. We can get him cheap. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is a benefit. You know, we, you have to yeah. point that when, we, when 
filmmakers, when you go casting, look for people that have tabloid issues. Exactly. You can get them really, really cheap. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, somebody else that you had, that you worked with, one of my uh, a wonderful cinematographer, Theo Van de Sand. Oh, Teo, you should see Mike Myers do an impersonation of Teo Van de Sant. He's an extremely, extremely talented cinematographer. But you get Mike going, imitating him. He goes, we are going to light every single leaf on every single tree on the entire block. So it'll only take 24 hours. We'll see you soon. Yeah, that's like, well, and you mentioned that, and all I can think of is, okay, all the leaves and things he lit in Homefront with Jason Statham. Yeah, there you go. Shot down in the, a, shot in the bayou. A, yeah, I mean, how can all these genius people come together at one point in time and uh, make that movie? It was incredible, and Teo had a big part of it. Yeah, and you were the leader. I tried. <laughs> you, you know, what you know. Another big component here that help that really helps with the film was your editor Malcolm Campbell, who has one of the great. That man is a genius with editing comedy. You take a look at Ace Ventura. You take a look at Coming to America. But then on the flip side, he can pull out the drama in something like Stealing Harvard. You know, I adore Malcolm. He was going through an, a, a divorce when we were have when we were uh, shooting uh, uh, Wayne's World, and he was he's such a sweetheart. He was heartbroken. He was having a really hard time, and um, uh, I kind of went in there and held his hand, and I tried to help him cut, and <laughs> you know, but he pulled out of it as we all do. We have our nervous breakthroughs, as we mm-hmm. call them. But I mean, it's just. I look at the collective talent to -hmm. come out of this film, and it is just astounding. I know. It's hard to believe. Like I said, it was a magical moment in time when all the chemistry was just perfect and and stuff like that. You don't know it when it's happening, Debbie. You don't realize, oh, my gosh, this is Mm -hmm. just the most amazing combination of people there could ever be. You don't realize it. You just think you're doing whatever you have to do for that day, you know? But that's what happened. You know, how how did Wayne's World impact you as a director? I know following that you went on, uh, you know, you directed the Beverly Hillbillies, and which I still think was hilarious. Okay, well, you and a couple other people, thank you. I, I trust, <laughs> I laughed my ass off. Oh, good. And, good, I am, good. I, and I am proud to tell you I even own, own oh. the film. Uh, you know what? I I so appreciate that. I don't know why um, I had to take that turn in my career because if you look at my previous movies like Suburbia or Boys Next Door or whatever, they're serious movies, you know. But once I did Wayne's World, I was kind of stuck in that comedy genre mm-hmm. and I didn't want to do it. Um, but they offered me so much money to do it because of Wayne's World that I just went, okay, I guess I'll just take those millions of dollars and do the work. And, and I'm, I'm, I did Wayne's World when I was 45 years old. So I was already established in my own mind as a very poor person. <laughs> okay. Well, number one, let me tell you, no, at no time have you looked 45. You do, I've seen recent pictures of you do not look 45 now. You, oh, well, well gosh, No, you don't, you don't look 70 now, which is what you would be. <laughs> Now you, you know might lo- now you might look forty five, but no way, oh, so no no you're way so would anybody believe that you are now hitting, you know, the seven zero mark. You, you don't need to say oh, another time, Debbie. Thanks, though. That's why <laughs> that's why I use single digits. <laughs> Here's the thing. Let me tell you my secret. 
you stay out of the sun, even when you're shooting. You got to wear a big hat. They used to always. I mean, I've been I've been photographed with like uh, uh, white gauze over my face when I'm shooting out in the desert. You know what I mean? You got to stay out of the sun. Got to use a lot of uh, moisturizer and uh, smile a lot. That's how you. That's a secret. Hey, well, it it sure has worked for you, Penelope. You know what? What is it about filmmaking? That drives you. That, and now, granted, you, you had to, after Wayne's World, you went and you did the studio fodder because, yeah, you want to pay the rent and you've been the light bills. Yeah. Uh, and then you want to hopefully put some away for the rainy day yeah. in case, you know, the, the poor times come back. Yeah. But, but what, how did the impact your filmmaking and your aesthetic as you move forward? Because your career didn't stop with those those subsequent comedies you you still kept going well you know what i did was i used the money i got making the studio movies and they were paying me ridiculous salaries uh, they don't do that anymore okay so i'm really first of all i thank god that i was able to make a living and do well when you could mm-hmm. um but i took the money that i made on the comedies and i did uh, i financed my own films i did the the decline part three mm-hmm. and i paid for myself and and I'm doing the decline for myself right now, and I'm doing a documentary about my mother who who ran away with a carnival when she was 19, and I paid for that myself. And so I just recycle the money back into the movies because, you know me, I don't shop at Neiman Marcus. You know what I mean? I right. shop at Target and I order on eBay. You know? Okay, let let's get it right here. We both we both love Target. Yes. Let's 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 give them their due. It is Target. Thank you. It's Target, and that's where I get my clothes. Hey, there's and, every, and everything else. You can't beat Target. Let me tell you. I know that I should be a spokesperson for them because I really mean it from the heart. <laughs> you know, I have to ask you because the minute you mentioned that you were doing Decline of Western Civilization Four, Brian is like he throws his arm up in the booth here, and he's yeah. he's just like. Oh, and oh my God! Moment. What is I? Mu- I have to ask, or he won't forgive me. What is Decline of Western Civilization Part Four about? Because you've done punk, you've done thank metal. You so, thank you for asking. But you're going to understand this with all the social media going on, and with everybody having an iPhone. If I disclose the subject matter, some young, energetic, genius filmmaker will take the idea and do it before me. So I can't tell you. Oh God. I know, I know, Brian, honey. I'll I'll let you know on the down low as soon as I can. But I'm uh, right now. I have to keep it quiet. My daughter Anna Fox and I are working on it. We were working on it before the Decline DVDs came out, and now we're picking it back up again. So it's fun, though. I promise you, it's fun. Any idea how long before it's finished? It won't be this year. You know, it won't be this year. A, a documentary has its own like, um, what do you call it? Like organic. Uh, birth force you know what i mean mm-hmm. like it, it'll be born when it's born it'll be done when it's done and i never force them because you can't no that that's so true do you like that freedom that you have by doing your own films with your own money on your own timetable so that you don't have to deal with egos and you don't have to deal with studio yeah. restrictions which are a lot more interfering i think in today's films yeah, I, I mean, I, I really, you know, I don't have, the, I don't have the, I don't put millions of dollars toward it as sure. the studios would, but, um, you know, it is kind of, 
a, a, a nice way of working. Uh, I mean, I, I talk to actor friends of mine and my sister who's a set decorator, and, you know, they're shooting 17 pages a day now sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like, how can you have quality work if you're shooting so fast and you're block shooting and you're just rushing through everything. I don't feel comfortable working that way, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's like doing soap operas. Thank you. Exactly. I didn't even think of that. You're absolutely right. It's it's just like doing soap operas. And, you know, I mean, I look at the films, the studio films you've done, and I look at, you know, Decline of Western Civilization. I saw, you know, part one, the L.A. punk scene. When you did, mm-hmm. I saw that one. There was a great difference into your approach, into the, your camera techniques. You know, everything is different. You can see the more cookie-cuttered format that the mm-hmm. studios impose. Oh, yeah. I'm not allowed to, I mean, to shoot and to cut like I did in the decline. Mm-hmm. Like, I did, the, I did that first decline before uh, MTV was born and came on the air. And people always say to me, why did you copy the shooting style and the cutting style of, of MTV? Uh, in the decline and i'm like back it up man because the decline was first <laughs> and i saw the decline back at the theater of the living arts on south 10th and 10th street in philadelphia when it came out oh i love it so that's how far i mean i know you you preceded mtv by a lot oh yeah, oh, yeah. you know you were on the cutting edge so well, now, I didn't do it. I didn't do it like out of some calculation or on purpose. I just did it because that's what I loved, you know. So now, as you get ready to, you know, embrace this rebirth of Wayne's World this week and next in its various incarnations, what is the greatest gift that you would say Wayne's World has given you as a filmmaker? I think it's the 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 joy of knowing that. Um, we were able to make so many people have such a good time for an hour and a half, you know? I mean, it's it, it, when I stood in the theater uh, and there was a thousand-person audience in the opening night in Westwood Village, and they were laughing so hard and having so much fun, it, it's so gratifying to be able to offer that to people, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what makes me feel good. Well, Penelope, I can't thank you enough for joining me. We have Mark on the other line who's going to come on right after you. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. You know, if, if you want to stay on the line with Mark, that's fine. It's up to you. Yeah, let me let me jump off for a second. I've got, uh, I got somebody. I'll be right back. Or, you know, or you can call back in. Okay, let, let's bring Mark on. She's going to come back while Mark's on. Mark, are you there? I am. I am here. This I'm not all there, but I'm <laughs> definitely here. This is the joys of live radio today. Penelope <laughs> just jumped off because she had somebody there, but she's going to come back on the line with you on the line too. Oh, good. So she can say hello for everybody listening. I now have the fabulous Mark Aaron Kranz with me, the creator of the New York Film Critics series and the the brains behind this Wayne's World 25th anniversary theatrical celebration. Yeah, it was um, it was a blessing all around. Sometimes when it works, it works perfectly, and it just goes. And that and this was one of those. And, and I and I think your partner in crime, Penelope, is back on the line. Yeah, we're dailies. Oh, I, uh, we, we've been speaking like every day lately. I have to tell you guys something. Mark is unbelievable. I told him <laughs> I would have given up trying to put this together like months ago. He is relentless. 
he just kept going and going and going. It's all because of him that this worked, him and Peter Travers. And Whoa. Tim Binder. <laughs> Tim, yeah, no Tim question. Is wonderful. Our, our radio promotional guy has just been outstanding. Oh, Tim is seriously one of the best guys out there. He really is. My goodness. I adore Tim. Yeah, so do we. But, you know, I mean, come, obviously, Mark, you embrace the whole idea behind Wayne's world of party on to get this thing going. Yeah, no question. I mean, um, I, I'm a little bit younger than Penelope, but, uh, you know, Everybody we both did. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, we're both punk rockers at heart. You know, I was making music videos. My first music video was on MTV when I was 16. I was at a recording studio in West Orange, New Jersey, and shot Cool and the Gang, uh, Celebrate, and Ladies, mm-hmm. and Ladies Night, all of those obnoxious songs they play at every bar mitzvah and wedding. But um, <laughs> my mother drove me up to Fort Lee, and it, it got, I didn't have any rights or anything, and it, and it got on MTV, and that's the way I paid my way through college at the University of Michigan and, and in Los Angeles. <laughs> well, let me tell you, once I came out to L.A., because I'm from Philly, and once I came out here and I was working in production in the early 80s, you know, thank God for music videos. I think I, I worked on four albums worth of Rick Springfield's, and they, yeah. they, they helped pay the bills. Yes, Penelope says right on. Yep. You, you know, pay the bills, keep those lights on. You know, plus, you know, it's, you know, they're fun to do. It's work. It's great training grounds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it helps you with expediency and innovation and creativity, I think. Yeah, no question. So Wayne's World, you know, I knew it was directed by Penelope, so that brought me to the theater, uh, you know, the level of um, integrity and ingenuity, and I knew it wasn't just going to be um, another another piece of mediocrity. So um, and she and she had fans all over the place in the community. So that's really what uh, interested me back in in uh, the early nineties. Mm-hmm. And as I t- as I told Penelope, I was familiar with her work uh, from Decline of Western Civilization. Number one, I saw it when it came out at the Theater of the Living Arts in down in Philly. Well, you know what Mark and I have in common, uh, and I don't know if I have this in common with any other friend, is that we both uh, did 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 uh, sh- videos of uh, Black Flag. That's right. Yeah. Oh my. <laughs> yeah, I produced a concert at the Olympic Stadium. It was the Olympic Boxing um, Hall that was built for the, the first Los Angeles Olympics mm-hmm. with Black Flag, Fear, and Suburban Lawns. It was a New Year's Eve concert, and uh, it, I needed some footage for a PBS special uh, with Joel Gray called To Hear, and, and I really wanted to show how the music of today moved the youth of L.A. And it was more of a you know, scientific thing, the, the um, dynamics of the ear and the viscera and how it affects one's you know, being. And there was no better form of music than punk rock or black flag at the time. So it was great. It was in a, it's a picture of a boxing arena where the seats yeah. are all like, I was you know, there. Four. you were there. I'm pretty sure I was there because I went to concerts down there. Who was the lead singer in, in Black Flag at that point? It was Henry Rollins. We were doing push-ups backstage okay. to get pumped. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I think he was having his way with one of the associate producers. Uh-oh. Too. Uh-oh. Oh, dear. <laughs> now that Henry w- usually gets his way. But, you know, there would never be any of that on a set of Penelope's. 
Kyle, well, all you no. have to do is show up and do your job. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So how do you go about approaching, you know, a Wayne's World 25th anniversary celebration? What are the moving parts involved in bringing this back to the world? And dare I say it again, I am just blown away. Over 800 theaters? Yeah, funny you should ask, Debbie. Um so uh, being in the event cinema business right now, I have a running list of titles with dates. So I can see the anniversaries as they come up or they're about to approach, uh, whether they be in the Library of Congress or they just be popular studio films. And I saw it coming. So I phoned Paramount in the summer, and I said, do you guys have any plans? And I think at that point they didn't, and they really didn't even know it was the 25th anniversary. And <laughs> as a matter of fact, their, their catalog, their home entertainment catalog, was with another distributor at the time. So it came back after the first of the year. Um, and then we basically were awarded the the assignment, the um, the event, what, with our pitches and what we brought to the table. And Penelope and I had been speaking prior because I needed to know if she was interested. I mean, I didn't know how she felt about the project. You know, so many years later, so many things can happen. But she was totally game and. Um, and then it then it just went. Uh, you know, there were some obstacles along the way, but tenacity and a lot of faith, uh, you know, good spiritual foundation usually prevails. So uh, that's what happened. Wow. Let me just say this. I don't know how he pulled it off. It was unbelievable. And the program he put together is so awesome that plays before the movie. It it really it, it's unique content, too, because it, you can't go on the Internet, right, Mark, and, and look at it, right? That's right. It'll be exclusive to theaters. It's both. It's a wraparound. It's a donut. You know, it's Peter Travers mm-hmm. introducing the film. And and then afterwards, uh, Penelope was hysterical with, uh, you'll see her comedic chops uh, with Tia and Robert Patrick and Colleen Camp. And that was a blast. And we re- recreated or tried to the Wayne's World basement with the, the couches and uh, the, the banners. And I know. Everything. Mark calls me up and that was goes, a lot of fun. Hey, do, do you have and, a guitar you could bring down and, a, and an amp? And I'm like, I actually do. I can get that from my boyfriend. So, uh, you know, we were just like Wayne and Garth. We were just like, oh, well, we could put a show together. Watch. You know, yeah, totally. It's like, like doing plays in our garages, you know, when we grew up. You know, it just yeah. shows that everything old is, you know, is new again. It's like, you know, Mickey and Judy, let's put on a show. Exactly. <laughs> totally. Yeah. You know, yeah, Spanky and Alfalfa. <laughs> that's that's just it. Let's go out to the garage, you know? <laughs> out to the barn. <laughs> in, the he, he Man Women Haters Club. Hey. <laughs> now, Penelope, did you have any kind of reservations when Mark came to you and said, "Hey, you know, yeah, let's do an anniversary. Let's do an anniversary." I'm like you're thing. never going to pull it off, dude. And he did because he's relentless. I'm telling you, he would not stop. And he went to Paramount, and Paramount got on board, and then he went to the Academy, and he got what he needed there. And, you know, he did this amazing performance this night uh, with the panel. And then he, I said, I didn't understand how you could put it all together so fast, you know. And he, would, he goes, watch me, baby. And he did it. It was awesome. 
Well, it's just like getting a studio pregnant with a project, and and that has been a strategy in the past with making movies where you sort of have some leverage. You did something for them once. You're expecting something else. You vetted it. You have some other stars on it. It sort of wills itself into existence, and then once it's beyond the point of no return, there's no reason why the other players shouldn't come on. Uh, yeah. So that was the feeling that it just it felt like it was it was going to work. Um. See what you figured out, what Mark figured out before anybody was that everybody now, because of the kind of dark political climate we're in and mm-hmm. the difficult times <laughs> with the violence and all that, people want to go back and be happy and yep. they want to remember what the fun times in the early '90s were like mm-hmm. and. I didn't think of that, you know, and I think Mark knew it, and that's why he fought so hard to to bring back Wayne's World. Did you see that Miami News article I sent you? With Tia? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The headline is, The Remedy for Your Political Despair. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and it's, you know, I find it particularly, you know, enlightening, because when you look back at history, politics and entertainment, it's because of the political climate in the Depression that Shirley Temple became a star when Franklin Delano Roosevelt issued an executive order, actually a good executive order, that said Hollywood needs to make happy movies, song and dance movies that will make mm-hmm. the American people happy. And oh, in- well, maybe we'll get some good movies again pretty soon. Wouldn't wouldn't that be wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't it be nice? Yeah. <laughs> but of course, you know, Mark Mark has plenty of plenty of good movies in his New York Film Critics series. That I do. But before we go on to that, I wanted to mention that you know there's a famous sign that Mike holds up in Wayne's World where he does something to goats. You know, and I yes. have proof. You know what I'm talking about? Yes, I do. Yeah. So, so people have been posting a similar Photoshop pissed up. Uh, card with our with Mr. President on it, so yeah, yes. that that is you know confirmed uh, line of thinking. Well, not only that, but the CIA I heard sends emails back and forth, and they go, "No way, way." Uh, <laughs> CIA baby, you know that's pretty much all you can do right now. It's <laughs> yeah, too yeah. funny that they reference this. Yeah. Why is that so? This is such a part of the cultural zeitgeist. It really is. Yeah. It's I don't stick know it to I the know. man. It's stick it to the man. You know, do it yourself. Get it done. Mm-hmm. Uh, Self empowerment. I think. I mean, that's what attracted me to the to the movie and Penelope's vibe. That's what punk rock was. You know, stick it to the man. Do it yourself. Yeah. You know, when was the last time either one of you watched Wayne's World? Well, I had to see it, you know, to brush up. So I had, was, had to. Excuse me. Excuse me. What? I had to see it. <laughs> Mark. Yeah. Well, Mark. it was. I'm being honest. I know. I know. I haven't seen it since 1992. And do you have any plans to see it? Well, you don't see any watch anything that you make, do you? No, I don't go back and look at it. I mean, I had to look at the decline movies. I just use the same phrase. Sorry, Mark. Uh, I had to look at the decline movies when I was putting out the box set, but generally I like to just uh, be in the moment, as I know Mark does as well, and mm-hmm. look forward a little bit, but I don't look back. Mm-hmm. You know, now, you didn't have to brush up on anything to do your Q&A special, no, special thing. No, I, I, I can remember all that stuff, yeah, <laughs> no, even though I'm only 45 still. That's right. I remember all that stuff. That's right. 
<laughs> yeah, it, it seemed like when they went on stage at the theater that they had almost rehearsed. I mean, it was really remarkable, now that you mention mm-hmm. it, that mm-hmm. Tia, Colleen, uh, well, Robert, not so much because he worked, he just worked one day. Yeah. They were on the same wavelength. So when they did mm-hmm. little gesticulations and references, everybody was right there with yeah, the Scooby-Doo great, ending. Blah, 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 blah. You know, it was like perfect. And the shtick was perfect. Well, you really know, funny. It's kind of like going back to a re, uh, your high school reunion or something, and exactly. everybody, you, everyone falls right into Except the same we liked home. each other. That's, yeah. <laughs> you know. It happens. It happens. But, you know, it's just, I think I'm just blown away. I am bowled over by the fact this is uh, the 25th anniversary. Uh, and, you know, and everybody can now see it on the big screen, you know, tomorrow and Wednesday. Yeah, we're psyched. We wanted it to be a party atmosphere. We're calling it Wayne and Garth's Birthday Bash. And uh, it does have that real lighthearted feel. Why should it not? It's funny. It's not stuffy. It's uh, it's not politics. It's uh, it's just a lot of fun. Yeah, and, and, and people ought to get out and see it on a big screen. It's a beautiful print. It's not um, you know it's it's not the way it was shown originally. It's it's digitally mastered mm-hmm. and it's going to look gorgeous. And they get to be with their friends and they should dress up. If anybody's listening out there. You should dress up and tell your friends, and that that's the way to do it. And take some pictures and post them. We'll share them. Yeah, I mean, you've got a great Facebook page going on this. Well, thanks. You know, hey, I, I, I look at things. I really do. <laughs> Mark did it all. No, it's it's fantastic with the teaser photos that you have up. And, yeah, oh, no, I think it's great, Mark. It's very enticing. And it really, it you get the vibe of Wayne's World and Wayne and Garth just looking at the Facebook page. Well, thank, well, you know, if you love something and it's fun, it's not work. It, mm-hmm. It's it's pure enjoyment. And, and you know, the, the goals and the outcome of these things, they don't bring you joy. You bring joy to it. That's mm-hmm. the only way you have to do it. Well, let me ask both of you, since the double feature comes out on DVD and Digital HD next week on Valentine's Day... Um, they're supposed to be new to digital extras, a director's commentary, and a making-of featurette? Yeah, I don't exactly I don't know, know what that, that content is. Tia oh. may remember, uh, Tia, Penelope may remember when they shot things, they probably did some um, EPK, electronic mm-hmm. press kit, or some uh, hey, commentary. Hey, Mark, you know what interview. I just found? I am so mad at myself for not finding this before. I just found a video cassette that I'm transferring to digital now, today. It was messages from everybody, all the actors on the Wayne's World set, messages to Penelope, and they are hilarious. Wow. I'm going to send it to you just so you could take a, get a good giggle. Oh. Yeah, I mean, if you want, I, Paramount will put it on the face on the big Facebook page if you want to. We oh, also yeah. have some Maybe. other exclusive content cool. out there, fun toys and other uh, pre-show material that's uh, that's that's out yeah. there that's exclusive to uh, the internet that's not going to be at theaters. So we're hoping that people see that online and then uh, are enticed to go see more. Well, Wayne's World is something that you know, be it the big screen, the small screen. It's funny, no matter what. It's well done. I mean, it looked beautiful to begin with. You know, thanks to Teo, thanks to, you know, Malcolm Campbell, you know, and Penelope's direction. But I I can't wait to see it now remastered. (laughs) Yeah. 
I really can't. I'm very excited to see it remastered. Yeah, it it looks glorious. Is there anything, what, if each of you had to pick a favorite memory about Wayne's World, what would it be? Hmm. Mark? Uh, working with me, right? You, from from the movie or just the whole experience? For the whole experience. The whole experience. Getting to know Penelope. There no you go. question. <laughs> what, a, what a gracious, talented woman. Oh, no. She's still pretty I'm, hot. Have to uh, say. No, no. The most, the, the funnest part of, of making the movie, I think, um, probably was just, you know, uh, enjoying the, the people's happiness when it just puts you in a good mood, you mm-hmm. know? There's not very many things that, that I, as a director, can do that makes that many people happy. That's the cool part. Oh. I mean, as far as the movie goes, uh, you know, the directing and acting and the story aside, the locations were mm-hmm. phenomenal. The Pineapple Bar, uh, Stan Makita's, just driving down the road with all of these very kitschy locations that were supposed to be Aurora. I love that about the movie when I saw it recently. That it was just, it was cool. The art direction and the whole look of it was just ahead of its time. Oh, the the look of it is fabulous, and you know, and what you did in, in Penelope and taking this from being a Saturday Night Live skit into turning it into a full feature is just amazing. Amazing. Well, I mean, it's to the credit of all those involved, not just me. You know. Um, the studio was nervous about the uh, translation factor there from five minutes to 90 minutes, but uh, I wasn't ever wor- worried about it because I knew the jokes were there, you know. And that's all you need. If you got the jokes. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah. We, we could say make a joke about politics right now with that, but no, we won't do that. <laughs> but we won't. <laughs> you know, and the we'll fourth wall the breaking and the, the meta sensibility where you have, you know, Alice Cooper and you have... Um, references to television and different things at the time. Mm-hmm. It was very dimensional in terms of about a TV show involving TV, involving other characters from other movies. The uh, the Terminator, Robert Patrick. Mm-hmm. Um, that that to me was how smart it was. Yeah, that was the goal. Is the the writers would always say we've got to stay ahead of the audience and we got to surprise them when they think when the audience thinks they're going to go somewhere, we got to let them go somewhere else. So that's what we try to do is to to make the film not predictable and be full of surprises. And a lot of those cameos were were Lauren's ideas, you know, um, like Rob Lowe and. Uh, Laura and uh, Ioni Sky and and uh, he he and the Terminator cop was his idea as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robert Donna Patrick. Dixon, Donna Dixon, and, the and Donna Dixon. Yeah, right? exactly right. Is Garth's dream girl? Yeah. <laughs> and Chris Farley. I mean, to see him is just outstanding. That's that That's that put a movie. huge smile on my face. Yeah. Hey, you guys, I got to go. I don't want to step on Mark's thunder here anyway, so I'm going to jam. But uh, thank you for talking to me, Debbie. Penelope, and, uh, Mark, anytime. Um, uh, my hero. Oh, I love you. And you better come I back on the too, show baby. with your next Bye, one. Bye, Penelope. And now we have just you, Mark. Yay. Yay. So, so now that we've covered all the beautiful things about partying on with Wayne's World, 
I want to party on a little bit about the New York Film Critics Series because this is such a vital, vital part of support for the independent film world. Yeah, uh, the, uh, Peter Travers and I um, have always been champions of the smaller stuff that needs help to find an audience, and uh, that was really our whole reason for doing this. Uh, with the advent of the Metropolitan Opera and the National Theater and event cinema, we really felt like this needed a place to have local talkback, festival talkback are great, but it's sort of elitist that you have to be either in New York or L.A. or at Sundance or mm-hmm. some other festival to have access to so many stars and so many different creators of, of great, smart movies that we began working with the smaller studios. At the beginning, it, it, we did do American Hustle and Gone Girl and Chef, but they kind of had an independent sensibility at a bigger studio, so the independent voice is what, what, what read through. Um, and the concept is basically to have a uh, festival-style Q&A with uh, some behind-the-scene moments, fly-on-the-wall moments, that even if you were at the theater in New York or Los Angeles where we shoot these things, you wouldn't have uh, mm-hmm. access to, you know, the green room or standing outside the uh, the theater doors talking about the audience or how talent might be a little nervous. Uh, so we do those private moments, and, and that's kind of cool. Because uh, that's what turned me on with the Metropolitan Opera. When you see that live, it's, I mean, the opera is glorious, but to go backstage and see the stages at the Med and the wardrobe and to be taken on tour to see those, um, those singers backstage, is, that's really exciting to me to feel part of something. And uh, so that's what we do. We shoot these, and then we broadcast them uh, to now 70 theaters nationwide before they're released. And we've had some great nights with smaller gems, with bigger stars who like to be in small movies because they'll have more liberties and they feel more passionate sometimes about these things because they're smarter and they they have some uh, valuable messages. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something that I've always championed are these smaller films because they don't get enough love and they need all the help that they can get. Plus, the the movie-going audience, there are people out there who have an appetite for this. Yeah, our our taste for movies has evolved. I mean... Uh, since the 70s with the, you know, the advent of the blockbuster <clears throat> during uh, baby boomers, tail end baby boomers, that, I think that's what really built this generation of going to the movies yeah. and that habit and the video store was such a cultural, uh, so integrated into our social uh, culture in terms of going to the store, talking to the guy at the counter who knew all about the movies and renting a movie for a Friday night or a Saturday night. It, we, it became, really became a huge part of our culture at home and going out to the movies. So that, that, that taste um, had to evolve so that now not only people want to see bigger explosions and bigger effects, which are way fun and, you know, a real thrill ride at the theater, but as far as dramatic or, um, you know, smart, what used to be only art house, has come a long way because of Sundance and other festivals. It's uh, big stars want to be in small movies mm-hmm. because 
they they have an affinity toward it, or they want to work with a certain director, or they have uh, uh, you know some latitude to impact how the movie is presented. Whereas if you're in a studio movie, it's um, it, it has to it, you can't afford not to be calculated. It's, I, I don't look at it disparagingly. It just it, it's there's a lot at stake, yeah. so it really does need to appeal to a lot of people. You know, unfortunately, Mark, we're all out of time today. Please promise me you will come back on the show so you and I can talk about indie movies and picks and hits and misses. I would love to. I I would love to have you back on on the show. Anytime. Anytime. Oh, Mark, this has been a real treat. Thank you so much. I had a good time, too. Thanks, Debbie. Oh, I look forward to having you back. I hope so. (laughs) Thanks so much, Mark. Okay, rock on. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was Mark Aaronkrantz, who has put together the Wayne's World 25th Anniversary Birthday Bash back in theaters tomorrow and Wednesday. And then double feature DVD, digital HD, and on iTunes and other platforms, Valentine's Day. Until next week, Debbie Elias is behind the lens. (laughs) 